0: with Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started.
1: Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedens, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we have a lot to get into on tonight's show as Samuel Basayo and Seth Johnson have both been promoted to double A Bowie. We're also going to recap the seasons of the Aberdeen Ironbirds and the Delmarva Sewerbirds, who wrapped up their 2023 campaigns over the weekend. First, though, uh, we do have a little bit of an announcement here because we're gearing up for our live show on October 2nd at Checker Spot Brewing. And we are happy to announce the first confirmed guest for the show, and Bob, uh, you're the one who puts the work into uh, booking the guests on the show. So, you want to do the honors?
2: Yep. So, we have our same guests from last year's live show coming back this year John Mioli of the Baltimore Banner and Connor Newcomb. You might know him if you listen to this podcast from Locked On Orioles. You might know both of them. They have a lot of appearances. And we're working on getting a couple more locked in, but don't think they're 100% confirmed at least yet so we'll hold off we'll, we'll tease it out a little bit as we get closer
1: yeah we look forward hopefully uh here over the next couple of weeks being able to announce that between now and october 2nd we will be at checker spot brewing checker spots new location in, in on ridgley street in baltimore city not far from Oriole park and Candom yards is now open so you can go check that out before the show on october 2nd with that we'll get into some news that broke over the weekend as samuel basayo and Seth johnson were both promoted from high a aberdeen Double A buoy. Essentially, this will add about a week plus to the season for both players, but very significant promotions in very different ways. We're going to start with Basayo who has just had an excellent year in his age nineteen season. In fact, he just turned nineteen last month. He tore through Del Marva before being promoted to Aberdeen, where he somehow managed to be a little bit better than he was at Del Marva in 115 plate appearances with the Ironbirds. Masayo batted 333 with a 195 wRC plus, while walking 16.5 percent of the time and striking out 17.4 percent of the time. Between the Ironbirds and the sewerbirds this season, the left-handed hitting catcher has batted 307 with a 398 on-base percentage, 547 slugging percentage, 20 homers, 84 RBIs, with a 12.85 walk rate and a 19.91 strikeout rate. Along the way, he's become a consensus top 100 prospect as most national outlets now consider him among the best 100 prospects in all of baseball. Nick, I think that we've been high on Bisayo for a few years since he entered the system, but this season really has catapulted him to a new level. What have your thoughts been?
0: Yeah, I think, honestly, just coming into the year, I think we knew like two things for sure. like One, he had insane raw power, and – well, three things. He had insane raw power. He had a ton of personality. Uh, there were like the you know him getting hit by the pitch and like a, a seventy-something mile an hour fastball maybe, and then him like falling dramatically to the ground. Uh, and despite the fact that I think a lot of people wanted him off catching position already, that he was a good defensive catcher. And then we later learned some of the numbers like the pop times and the arm strength and they're really good, Uh, and I think he has the potential to be a very good catcher as he continues to move up the ladder, but you also, when you see his ability to steal strikes behind the plate, that was something that I saw a lot of this year. I enjoyed watching that, and I just think as you continue to grow and mature physically, because he is still just a teenager, like you mentioned, he just turned 19, but I don't see any signs of needing to move him off the position right now, and offensively, watch this 18, 19-year-old kid get bumped up to high A, and the average went from 299 to 333. The WRC plus went from 149 to 195 in High A. On base percentage is up to 443. He lowered his strikeout rate to 17 percent, and he increased his walk rate from 11 to 16 and percent. So, like, what catcher, 19 year old catcher? Sorry, there's bugs everywhere. I'm at the beach. Uh, what 19 year old prospect, especially a catcher, puts up those kind of that kind of production? Like, that's insane. Um, and speaking of John Mioli, remember before the season started, you asked him that prediction, like, I right, predict the top five prospects going into next year. And he was like, I'm going to say Samuel Basayo at number five. And I was like, that's cool. Like, that's a great answer. It's a bold take. I like it. Um, but we'll see if that actually happens. He's, he's wrong. He's not going to be number five next year. He's going to be like number two or number three next year. Uh, he's going to be even better than I think John predicted. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of, the season beside has had, in a nutshell,
2: I think. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. And, you know, I feel like there's one thing that elite prospects do that, you know, kind of break a little bit the typical development curve of every other prospect. We've seen it with Gunner, where it's like, a big leap, and the improvements happen quicker and quicker, there's less time in between you noticing the improvements. And I think Jackson Holiday, the same thing. As he's gone up level, he's g- gotten better. Maybe, you know, a little bit of Babbitt luck uh, in AAA so far, but he had a nice game on Sunday to get things a little bit closer to where he should be. And Samuel Basayo is just another case of a snowball rolling downhill as the season's gone along. He starts as an 18 year old in Loe del Marva, and he's striking out. He's not walking as much as you might like. All of a sudden, you notice. strikeouts are getting less as the season goes on the walks are increasing the power is maintaining throughout and he gets bumped up to high a aberdeen he starts off two for 26 and then it just clicks in the place his numbers since august 9th what like the last four weeks of the season simply absurd he batted 429 with a 1444 ops 269 wrc plus a 486 ISO, 17.6% walk rate, and only 15.3% strikeout rate. And that's over 85 plate appearances. So it's not like that's just like a hot week. Like that is insane. <laughs> and uh yeah, now he's he's going up to double-A buoy, which is a hitter friendly environment. Obviously, it will be a learning experience, even if it's just a week or so for him, given that the the toughness of pitchers he's gonna face is gonna go up, but after getting my first live look at him uh, in Aberdeen on Sunday, this kid is special. I am—I would be shocked if he's not a star in the league, not just because of his baseball skills, but like Nick said, we noticed even a year or two ago his personality. its It reminds me of Anthony Santander, like the confidence, but just good natured, having fun. You can tell he's having fun. Everything he's doing, like I was telling the guys before we started this podcast, Creed Willems, You know, Gene Pinto strikes out a guy to end the second inning. Creed throws the ball down to first base towards Basayo. As he's running in, he catches it behind his back, gives a little smirk and a wink to a kid in the stands, tosses him the ball. Like, just he just, like Nick said, he just turned 19 a month ago and he's already showing this confidence. Like, at one point, he tried to lay down a bunt for a base hit down the third baseline. It was kind of ridiculous, but it just shows how loose he is to me. Like, it was just seemed like a whim of the moment, like just in the moment he decided he was going to do that. Didn't work. Oh well. Um, his first at bat, man, he smoked two or three balls, just foul opposite field. That would have been at least doubles. A couple, one of them might've been a home run and still, even though he was down 0-2, 1-2, he rocks a triple into the right center field gap off the wall in a deep center field area for, for Aberdeen would have been gone in Bowie. Um, so yeah, just, I, literally cannot say enough good things about samuel basayo and it's kind of crazy because we're like oh adley rushman no one could be a better prospect than adley rushman in in the oriole system oh Gunnar henderson no one could be better than Gunnar. oh jackson holiday no one could be better than jackson well Samuel basayo might be that fourth number one prospect in baseball this time next year um and i'm shocked to say that but he could legitimately be the dream that we had of francisco alvarez but you can play catcher and play it well behind the plate.
1: I think it's worth thinking back to earlier this year when Basayo got to Del Marva, the three of us were in agreement that it would not be a bad thing if Basayo spent the entire twenty twenty-three season at Del Marva. After all, he was eighteen years old. There was questions of how that raw power was gonna play. How would the cultural adjustment go to having to play in a cold weather environment in the US, a part of the country he's never been in before? Because at this point he's only played in Florida. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into that, not to mention being a catcher that could have, you know, made his development a little bit slower than a lot of Orioles' prospects. Uh, yet it seems like he managed to keep pace, if not outdo a lot of them this year, despite those factors. And you both touched on it, but he got better at the plate during his time at Del Marva and he overcame adversity after a slow start at Aberdeen. He was tearing the cover off the ball over the last few weeks of the season. Now, I don't think there's a whole lot we're gonna take away, good or bad, from what Basayo does at Bowie with a little bit of time left that there is in this season. But now that he is in AA and you know it's not something we're talking about is happening in the future. It's already happening. You can pencil him in now as their starting catcher next season. What does that do to affect your expectations for him going into 2024?
0: I think for me, like just this last week or so, I like like you said, you're not gonna really learn a whole much about him, but I just think just get comfortable. Just this is a week or so worth of games where he can see double A pitching and now he knows exactly what he needs to work on heading into the off season. And he can start next year in double A. And honestly at this rate, like like you said, I imagine he would he would have spent all year in Del Marva uh maybe at this point of the year or like two weeks ago getting the bump up to Aberdeen as a congratulations you had a great year let's get you up to Aberdeen for the last two weeks or the year but I figured it'd be Creed gets up first because he's already repeating Delmarva he's playing well he gets moved up but Basayo he's so young he's so raw he's gonna spend a lot of time down there I you know we say it all the time but I'm still so hesitant or like want to be hesitant with a lot of these prospects but we say it all the time that the Orioles have proven to be really aggressive with a lot of these younger prospects, especially the younger international hitters. I feel like they've been very aggressive with these guys. So it wouldn't shock me at all that he gets this initial taste of Bowie. He knows exactly who he's got to work on coming into next year. And he comes out strong next year in Bowie and he's ending next year in AAA easily.
2: Yeah. Like I was saying, these elite prospects get better quick. And like we've been talking about with Jackson Holiday, Why we think, or at least I think, that he could personally compete for a job out of spring training with the Orioles is because I imagine he's going to put in a lot of work in the offseason to get better. And he might take another leap just from October or September, October to February, March of 2024. And the same goes for Basayo. Again, he's just turned 19. He can get stronger, even though he's already hitting 110 miles per hour exit velocities on his home runs right now. Like, who knows? The sky is a limit. He's gotten better with his eye. Maybe they he works with uh, you know, the whatever the pitch machine is that kind of simulates the toughest pitches in the world and he gets his swing decisions even better over the offseason. I or he just continues to round out his game, get in better shape. I don't know. But he's gonna start in double A because why would you end him there and not start him back in double A next year, especially with what he's done in his limited time at Aberdeen? Yeah, he's certainly going to start. He might even get an invite to big league camp uh, to join that incredible list of spring training invites that will be there. And, you know, if he starts in AA, by June, July maybe, if he's performing, he's in AAA, and then sky's the limit. Like, I'm going to keep saying that 20 times tonight apparently. And, uh, you know, he's going to be the guy we're speculating in September. Oh, is this the guy that we're going to give a tease? in the? Which is crazy because he'll be a barely 20-year-old catcher and they tend to develop, need more time to develop. And uh, so far, Basayo has not needed that time. But we'll see. Maybe he'll be a guy that, you know, eventually will have to settle in somewhere and get some extended time. But he has not made that the case so far.
1: While well, Basayo is going to get his shot to get his feet under him in Bowie's lineup over the next week, Seth Johnson is now in Double A. Also, Johnson, who's working his way back from Tommy John surgery, has had four starts for the Orioles so far this season. He's pitched seven to third innings between three levels. And really when you break it down on a game-by-game level, he's had three very good clean outings with one bad one mixed in there against Jersey Shore back on August 31st. But nonetheless, he has looked really good. And from the national writers we have had on the show that were following Johnson during his time in the Tampa Bay Rays system, um, the hype has been pretty substantial. And it's just been a matter of whether or not, you know, Not a matter of whether or not, a matter of when he can get healthy, get adjusted to a new organization and show what he could do. There's a feeling when you watch Johnson that he could be this time next year, if not the top pitching prospect in the Orioles system, certainly one of the top. For now, though, he'll have a shot to have probably at least one outing in Bowie before this season wraps up. Nick, I'll start with you here. What is now getting our eyes on Johnson as an Oriole for the first time? Uh, but this is pretty significant that he is getting to double A in his first summer back from Tommy John surgery. What are your thoughts been on him so far? And what do you think we can reasonably expect next year? I think this year it's just, you know, haven't seen too
0: much of him obviously. And it's a couple innings off Tommy John surgery. So I don't have any major takeaways, just really been impressed with like the strikeout and walk numbers, honestly, like 10 strikeouts, three walks, no home runs allowed in seven innings. Like, I know usually the command is one of the last things to come back when you're returning from Tommy John, but he hasn't really shown any issues there. And I think, you know, he probably begins next year. He could be a guy, honestly, again, talking about being aggressive with these guys. I could see him being a candidate for like a short stint in Bowie. Like he spends a couple weeks there, but maybe he goes to the Arizona Fall League. I don't know. A guy rehabbing, I don't know if the Orioles are going to be super open to that, honestly, but we'll see. Um, but, I can see him having a really good off season down in Sarasota over the winter. And then a good spring training leads to a fairly short time in Bowie next year. He's up in AAA, and he's pushing for a major league roster spot by the end of next year. Like maybe that's a bit aggressive considering that he's just going off Tommy John surgery, but like when he went down with Tommy John surgery, he was already still pretty raw as a pitcher, but the stuff is like that. If the stuff is as good as i go back to like our conversation with arm layton he really really got me excited about seth johnson and i mean if the stuff truly is that good and he can settle back in quickly from the surgery then i think to repeat what bob said this guy is limp with johnson as well this is a high ceiling guy that the orioles got for like super cheap because he was going to be out for the year i think that's going to be there's a massive wait and see project there with him but he could pay off big dividends like this is a guy that I am genuinely excited to see go like full strength next year.
2: Yeah, we're super excited and justifiably so for Chase McDermott, who has, you know, progressed and developed under the Orioles since they traded for him in the same trade, by the way. And, uh, you know, he's knocking on the door, and Seth Johnson has better stuff, and it's back following his Tommy John he's sitting 96.2 something like that. He's touching 99 100. He's he's got great stuff and I I do think he's going to be fast tracked cuz of his age and and you know, he's going to be healthy. If his stuff is back, I don't see any reason to baby him. I think it would be nice if he could play in the AFL. Like Nick said, it's a great point. Like I don't know, they might want to be more in control of how his innings over the off season go uh coming back from injury, but yeah, start at Bowie. I wouldn't expect it to be a super long stint in Bowie, maybe similar, maybe even quicker than McDermott got up to triple a and yeah, I think he could be an option at least out of the bullpen in September, who knows what the Orioles major league team is going to look like next year this time, but they'll probably be close to 90 wins again, mid September, 2024, at least we hope. And he could be a guy that helps out big time in that bullpen just with his pure stuff and yeah he's very exciting you know it's hard to evaluate and rank him when he's sitting on the sidelines with this tommy john surgery but now that he's back and we've seen that his stuff is back and it seems like his control isn't too worse for the wear already yeah i think we have a better idea of where to slot him in in our prospect rankings and i think the orioles are probably already devising a plan for next year and and when he will help the major league team and I think it'll be late late 2024 or spring training twenty twenty five when we really see the fruits of that labor.
0: And honestly, the only other point that I had about Johnson is the fact that the reason I'm so excited for Johnson is personally is because the Orioles are finally getting credit on a national level for this pitching development. Finally. Like how many times have we been yelled at and scolded and mocked for like our belief in this system to develop pitchers? And now the national media is catching on and being like, hey, these guys are actually really, really good at developing pitchers. One of the best organizations in all of baseball at doing this. And when you have a guy as, I don't even want to say as raw, although I feel like he still is kind of raw as a pitcher, but as high of a ceiling as Seth Johnson in this organization, they can do really big things with him. So that's, that's what my genuine excitement comes from there.
1: Yeah, let's give a little bit of background on Johnson for listeners that, Maybe don't know it or knew it at the time of the Trey Mancini trade, but I've since forgotten it. Johnson actually started out at Lewisburg College, a junior college in North Carolina, primarily as a shortstop and really did not take up pitching until after he was tra- after he transferred to Campbell University. The Rays saw enough that they liked to Campbell to take him 40th overall in the 2019 draft. He didn't make his day- full-season debut until 2021 because of the COVID year. was very good that season at Low A. Charleston and was off to an excellent start at high A Bowling Green the following year before suffering the injury and undergoing Tommy John surgery. So even though you know you might look at his MILB player page, see that he's going to be 25 next week, he's in A this year, was drafted back in 2019, he doesn't have that typical pitcher's trajectory. Um, nonetheless, though, I think that people who had the chance to watch Johnson throw before he was hurt, really liked what they saw clearly the raise and organization knows what they're doing with pitcher pitching prospects Liked what they saw a few years ago. So this is a guy that had pretty high hopes for, and I agree with the two of you that the trajectory next year could be kind of quick out of Bowie. I mean, we did see some instances this year of pitchers repeating levels a little bit longer than I would have expected. I wasn't expecting Justin Armbruster to stay in Bowie as long as he did this year. And I think performance wise, he could have started this season at triple a, but Johnson has the fact that he's already on the 40 man roster in his favor. Uh, the Orioles added him last off season, So his case is a little bit different than some of these other guys where he's going to be in his second year on the 40 man. If he looks good early on and they feel like he's mastering double a hitters, I don't think they'll hesitate to bump him up to Norfolk.
2: Yeah. Great point about the 40 man. If they need an arm, they're going to use it. So that puts him in a, a better chance of, of moving up quickly and, and helping the major league team, even if it's only like, oh, shoot, we need an arm for tomorrow only. Let's just bring Seth Johnson up for the day. If we need him, he's here. If not, we can send him right back down. So, yeah, good point.
1: In a moment, we'll get into the seasons of the Marvis Swordbirds and Aberdeen Ironbirds. But first, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Football is back in full of swings in another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code ONTHEVERS to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code on the verge. The crowd is, crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.1800Gambler.net. In New York, call 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY 467 369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777. Or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas. Twenty-one plus. Aids varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com/football. Terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Nick, uh, how are you feeling at, about your Cowboys after that week one uh, slacking of the New York Giants? I'm muted. That's about how it's
0: going for the Cowboys uh, in about three weeks. Uh, but for right now, the Cowboys are riding high. Uh, that was a great Monday night game. Shout out to all the Ravens fans listening. Ravens fans listening. I know this is exactly what you, what you want to hear. But uh, apparently, Aaron Rodgers just got like, carted off the field, like the second play of the game tonight. So, more good things happening in the NFL. Uh, RIP JK Dobbins. Let's My fantasy seasons are dead. Let's talk about baseball.
1: Yeah, we'll talk uh, about the Delmarva Sewerbirds first. The Sewerbirds finished this season 56 and 64, 56 and 64, going, or excuse me, 56 and 74. I'll get my numbers straight there. They finished both halves the same record. They went 28 and 37 in the first half, 28 and 37 in the second half. And kind of like we've seen in the last few years with the Birds, Very, very different rosters at different stages of the season. They started the year with Jackson Holiday, Samuel Basayo, and Creed Willems anchoring their lineup. Eventually, all three would find their way to higher levels. The pitching staff, though, broke out with some interesting candidates, including Luis DeLeon. Davey Cruz was very good and got stronger as he went along in his second season. Juan Nunez also looked very good before getting promoted to Aberdeen. Late in the year, the Soarbirds were pretty interesting to watch once again. With Enrique Bradfield Jr., Mac Matt Horvath, Matthew Edsel, among others, taking the field for alipe Alou Jr.'s squad before getting promoted to Aberdeen. So, really, overall, I think it would be fair to say that the Soarbirds were a lot more interesting over the balance of the season than the 56 and 74 record suggests.
0: Yeah, that's, and that's typically the pattern I feel like we've seen the last couple of years, especially since we started doing this, right? They start out really fun to watch and really entertaining because you know, they've got some guys repeating the level they got these younger international prospects. Uh, and then a lot of these guys get promoted up to Aberdeen and there's this lull in between then and when the draft happens uh, where it can be tough to watch sometimes, but then the draft picks come in and this team really starts to take off. But you're seeing a lot of guys, I think it is still Marvel level. You're seeing a lot of these younger international prospects. And this is the key for me, these younger international prospects, Maybe they do have to take two years, but they're settling in. A lot of these guys, for the most part, and taking off eventually. So, like, there's a lot of really good things happening in Del Marva. Like put the record aside, put all of that aside. There's a lot of good development happening there in Del Marva. They've got a great coaching staff and system in place to help the international players acclimate uh, to full season ball here in the states. So, a lot of great things still happening down there in Del Marva.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, who was it, Uh, Kobe Perez, Matt Blood saying you're going to see a lot of guys that repeat the level next year, make some big strides. I think we saw that. Creed Willems, uh, don't forget, he started the season in Delmarva and just came out like a rocket. One of the hottest prospects in the system, if not of baseball, the first month or so. Got promoted to Aberdeen and then kind of, you know, hit a wall as he got stretched out in his first full season. But love the progress that he made. Elio Prado came back, did really well. And there's just other examples. And then I think you're going to see some guys that, you know, maybe we had some hopes for that didn't perform quite as well as we wanted them to. They'll repeat the level next year and they'll break out and uh, be in Aberdeen like two months into the season. And then we can reevaluate. But I think that's kind of, we kind of are falling into stride here with what the Del Marva season is going to be for the most part for the foreseeable future. It's going to be a lot of young international prospects that, you know, either you're Samuel Basajo and you break out and become a top 100 guy, or you're a guy that just needs a little more time to develop and be a little more patient. I mean, those are still like 19, 20-year-old kids. Uh, And then you get that influx from the draft just as you lose your best players to Aberdeen, and then you lose them, and at the end of the season, it's, you know, who's left.
1: One of the things that stood out to me about the Storebirds this year was that you knew coming in that that opening day lineup was going to be really good. When you have Holiday and Basayo in there, you have Creed Willems. But there were a few pitchers that I think really kind of took us by, by surprise a little bit this year. Nunez was excellent there. Edgar Portez, though, is a guy that I think really jumped on some radars this year as the season he had. When he was with Del Marva this year, struck out 106 batters in 82 thirds innings pits while walking 35 for a 20-year-old At Lowe, those are pretty good numbers. And he's got a very live fastball. So that's someone that kind of jumped out at me as a breakout candidate. But I feel like when you look at this pitching staff, you could put that label on four or five different guys.
2: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Uh, No one more helium than Luis de Leon. We talked about him a little bit lately. But even with a rough end, he had like a rough start or two towards the end. He still ends up with a 2.39 ERA with 31 strikeouts and 26. In the third innings, you talked about Davy Cruz, who just was like, again, got better and better as the season went on. And Juan Daler Santos, he had a very interesting season. He was 1-10 with a 4.60 ERA, but I feel like there was a stretch in the middle where he was lights out as well. Moises Chasse had to be slowed down, I think more so for innings than an injury towards the end of the year, but he had 100 strikeouts in only 68 innings and got better as the year went on. And I feel like, again, these guys that are super young and get better as the year goes on, great sign for the future.
0: Yeah, I highlighted two pitchers here uh, that I, I know I wanted to look at real quickly, and Chasse was one of them. He's still just 20 years old, spent all last year in Delmarva and this year, but 68 innings this year, which was nine more than last year, and last year was a lot of injuries as well, but he saw his ERA drop like half a run this year. Uh His strikeout rate went from 23% to 33%. The average against went from 211 down to 193. I think, really, overall, everything improved pretty dramatically except the walks. I think he did walk more guys this year, but he only walked nine guys over his last 21 innings, which was a big improvement. So I think it was good to see him trending in the right direction there at the end of the year. I really like to see him take off in Aberdeen next year. And then, Davy Cruz for me was another guy who. You know, he catapulted into Baseball America's top 30 at, like the midseason last year. And then no one really ever talked about him after that. I think the draft picks came in and he dropped out of the top 30 and people just kind of stopped talking about him. But he showed great improvements, I think, too, across the board. And he's still just 19 years old, which I can't believe. But I thought I'd see him in high A, at least to end this year, because he's pitched like 150 innings in Delmarva now. But he had a 25% strikeout rate. His walk rate, he improved by like 3%. He he lowered his X-fit by more than a run, I think, this year. And he doesn't have the velo. I don't think that Luis De Leon does. I don't think very many people do have that type of velo from the left side or any side. But uh, he does, I think, have a starter's repertoire. And Davey Cruz and Moises Chasse, I'm really hoping, are kind of solidify that Aberdeen rotation next year because those are two of the younger pitchers, international pitchers, that I'm pretty stoked to watch.
2: And real quick, I do want to mention Teddy Sharkey because, wow, this guy, we heard he's a psychopath, but he's also electric and dominant on the mound. I feel like this is a guy that's going to start in Aberdeen's bullpen next year and might be making a case to uh, get to the majors by uh, September of 2024 if he keeps this up because he is phenomenal. In 10 innings pitched, two in the FCL, eight in Delmarva, he has given up. Four hits, three walks with 16 strikeouts and yet to give up a run in his professional career. So, you know, I'll just cue the Jaws theme music here. One guy
1: offensively that I wanted to mention because we're not going to get a chance to talk, probably not going to get much of a chance to talk about him for the rest of the show. Tavian Dosenberger, um, if you look at him, compared to the other 2023 draft picks out of college, you know, guys like Matthew Edsel, Enrique Bradfield Jr., Matt Horvath, I think it'd be fair to slate it josenberger maybe it took him a little bit longer to get his feet under him in pro ball but he went on an excellent run at the end of the season um over his last eight games he went 13 for 29 to play six walks to nine strikeouts and here's what kind of blows me away about this out of those eight games five of them were multi-hit games uh we heard about that bat the ball skill that he brought over out of college from arkansas the fact that the power was coming around a little bit and you know that first summer out of the draft, I don't know that you're going to learn a lot about a guy, but I kind of saw there over the final couple weeks where the makings for Josenberger to be a pretty solid player in the professional ranks are there.
0: I, I just think he, I think he was a guy who's a little bit more raw than everyone else, but the Orioles did take him fairly early on, a third-round pick, so they obviously like his ceiling. I just think he's. Again, I hate to put that kind of bad juju comp on him, but I do just keep continuing to get like re-trimble vibes, like re-trimble when he was drafted vibes. He can play – Josenberger can play the dirt as well. He has that ability. I don't know if we'll ever see that, but he's athletic enough to play on the dirt, uh, and he's got the sneaky power. He's a super athletic outfielder. can play all three outfield positions, I believe. So I think this is a guy who – might take a little bit extra time he's a 21 year old college outfielder out of the sec so i know that's weird to say he might take some extra time but i think he will but he could be a guy that if you're patient enough and the system works with him the right way and it just clicks between these two parties i think josenberger could be a really good find there in the third round
2: yeah he got really hot there like zach you were saying and Really got his numbers up to a pretty respectable level in a hurry. He was batting in the 100s for a long time, and he ended up two fifty six with a six ninety eight OPS in Delmarva. He did walk consistently throughout, even when he was slumping, so he's got that good eye that the Orioles look for. I think, you know, it's hard to, to really take anything away from these guys that are just coming out of the draft. They're probably not tinkering too much with them. They're probably just letting them get some professional experience, and, you know, if they start out really hot, like Matthew Etzel and Enrique Bradfield, Matt Horvath then they'll promote him and give him a little more of a challenge. But I think the full season is when you really see what we have here and still completely optimistic with Josenberger and what he's got. And especially that little flash that he showed shows that what he's capable of.
0: I had one more hitter that I just wanted to point out from Delmarva real quick. Uh, Anderson De Los Santos just didn't want to pass it by without throwing his name out. Because I strongly believe that if you just look at his numbers, like the baseball card stats, you pull up his player page, you look at that, you look at the OPS, you look at the batting average, you're like, uh, all right, what's so special about him? He's had some of the best batted ball data in the organization, I think, for like the last two years. I know he's been a guy that John Mioli has highlighted on numerous occasions. I remember at the beginning of the year, y'all you know, remember when he got mysteriously cut on the MILB transaction page? <laughs> And there were some, some people like in the organization uh, that we were talking to, like, uh, I don't know what that was about. Uh, there was like a mad dash there because I think the organization really does like this guy a lot. Uh, he's only 19 years old, so he won't turn 20 until January. I, I think it's easy just to say, oh, he'll repeat the level and break out. And I know we say that a lot, but I genuinely think that De Los Santos is, if I'm putting my money on one guy to do that next year, it's going to be De Los Santos.
2: Completely agree. I have a couple other guys, too. But on Dehler Santos, you know, if you look at his time from July 15th to the end of the season, so two solid months there, he did bat 266 with the 730 OPS. That's a 106 WRC+. ISO is a little bit higher. The walk rate's creeping up to like a a league average level. Strikeout rate was a little bit down from his full season numbers. And yeah, I completely agree that I think he's going to be a huge breakout candidate in 2024. And I also wanted to shout out a couple guys. Steven Acevedo, who feels like he's been in this system for a decade. He's still only like 20 years old. or is Yeah, I think he's still only 20 years old because he was signed when he was 16. Um, yeah, he really started to put it together. I One of the dailies recently, I broke down like, his season in chunks and he just progressively got better and better. He's learning to tap into that raw power that we knew he had in his 6 foot 4 frame and really as the season went on he was just hitting bombs, doubles, home runs here and there, walking more uh really think, you know, is another case for why don't give up on these guys super quickly, especially when they're this young in full season ball. It could take one, two, three seasons. So Michael Hernandez, you still have a little bit of hope. And Angel Tejada, another guy who deserves a shout out just because who knew, right? Like that he would get up to Delmarva. He didn't play in the FCL this year. He was in Delmarva. He started a little bit late, but he played his entire season in Delmarva. Again, 19 years old, doesn't turn 20 until January, just like Anderson daler Santos. He put up a 96 WRC+. Plus. He batted like 249. He didn't walk a ton, five and a half percent, but he didn't strike out a ton either just feel like the organization, just based on how they used him, is uh, pretty confident in his ability as well, and I feel like there was just one more guy, oh yeah, the guy who only got 11 at-bats in Delmarva, and I was shocked to see him show up in the box scores last week, uh, Anudis Mordan, who had a, we talked about him two weeks ago in the FCL uh, breakdown, he was four for 11 with a double and a home run and a walk in three games for Del Marva. so... Again, something about this organization catchers because between Rutchman, Basayo, Mordan, there's a guy, Brian Hernandez, who's pretty solid, just Maverick Hanley, Silas Arduan. Orioles aren't going to really need to go to free agency or trade for a catcher anytime soon.
1: Yeah, definitely not. We'll shift gears now and talk about the Aberdeen and Ironbirds. Roberto Mercado's squad saw some of the top prospects in the system, including Holiday, Basayo, and many others, pass through this season And overall, the Ironbirds went, um, finished the season strong. They won six of their final games against Greenville, sweeping that series and won eight out of their last 10. They went 34 and 31 in the second half and 66 and 63 overall. And really, there's a few ways you could break down the Ironbirds. There's some of the standout hitters that were there, such as Holiday, Basayo, Dylan Beavers, Judd Fabian. But then you also look at the pitching staff, and a lot of this year's breakout arms got their starts in Aberdeen or found their way to Aberdeen later in the season. So that could be guys like Juan Nunez and Yaki Rivera, who were very good between Marvin and Aberdeen, or it could be pitchers like Trey Sprite and Alex Pham, who began the season with the Ironbirds and really rose up the ranks with their strong performances. So, Bob, I'll start with you here. When you look at this team as a whole, what stands out to you?
2: just a dynamic core cool, like I don't know it's like a sh- very much like Delmarva but even more so just like constantly shifting its personality of the team as the season goes on and we didn't I mean we mentioned it briefly but Jackson Holiday started the season in Delmarva and he's playing for AAA Norfolk right now that's still crazy when you when you think back but yeah I don't know because Aberdeen is the team that's closest to me it always starts out super exciting because they get all your draft picks the college draft picks from the year before you know guys coming in but then they're gone and there's a little bit of a law then you get the promotions so it's really hard to nail them down but there's a lot of exciting stuff you're at least going to see if you go like once Every couple weeks, you'll get to see the biggest players in the system for the most part, except for the guys that are obviously in the upper minors at the beginning of the year. But, like you mentioned, Yaki Rivera fantastic season for him. He just turned 20 in July, but he had a 2.52 ERA between both A Ball teams with a 32% strikeout rate. Love to see that. Juan Nunez, I finally got to see him in person on Sunday. Super impressive. Sitting 94, 95. He touched 97 at one point. Just looks really confident on the mound. Again, just a vibe thing. I feel like he looks the part of a a major leaguer in the future. So yeah, and I think pretty much every pitcher that pitched for Aberdeen, at least in the starting rotation, like had their moment because Jake Lyons for a while was super hot. I don't know if he survives this offseason. I know he's getting up there a 2019 draft pick, but Kyle Verbitsky started off super slow after being in the Daryl Hernandez trade, but he finished the year super strong. 3.83 ERA, 103 strikeouts in 103.1 innings. Cooper Chandler came out of nowhere, had a great season. Um, yeah, Daniel Lloyd was fantastic. Cameron Weston, all the guys that moved up. Gene Pinto, Alex Pham, Trace Bright. list could go on and on, but just great pitching in Aberdeen because of it's a pitcher's park, but even the the hitters, you know it's a breakout when you're performing well in high A. Just an example, Jackson Holiday batted 314 with a 940 OPS in the Pitchers Park of Aberdeen. And what do you know? He's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I think just generally speaking about Aberdeen, like last year it was kind of like, all right, let's see what these guys have in terms of the coaches because – uh you look at this manager staff last year or the entire coaching staff last year, a lot of younger guys and newer guys in the organization. Roberto Mercado, this was his first job last year in the professional ranks, first managing job in the professional ranks. He took, I mean, he was working at what, the high school level two years ago and an extensive, fabulous baseball resume. But as far as professional coaching goes, last year was his debut, and he took Aberdeen to the championship series. Uh, And he had a first year, First year in the organization pitching coach and forrest herman who did some unbelievable things with those pitchers last year and it's carried over this year so austin miney came over from uh unc charlotte or just charlotte i forget what they're called now either way charlotte he came from the college ranks this was his first year in the organization and he picked up the torch that forrest herman left and he's continuing to carry it you guys have talked about the pitching the pitching in aberdeen i think year after year continues To be the area that i know i target as there's no big names there might be one big name guy on that entire roster but yet it's for the last two years it's been arguably the most dominant staff and they only get a lot of these guys not everybody but a good chunk of these guys only get better when they get up to Bowie, which is a pitcher's park which has been the most arguably in my opinion the most phenomenal thing about watching this entire farm system Um, but shout out to Austin Miney, shout out to Roberto Mercado and the job he's doing. Shout out to Zach Cole. I think he's been there for a couple of years now, the hitting coach for Aberdeen. I mean, I know we're leaving guys off, apologies, but these guys are doing a fantastic job down there in Aberdeen because the hitters, yes. I know a lot of people see some of the numbers with guys like um, pick a player, you know, that struggles initially down there in Aberdeen. And sometimes it takes a couple months, but they settle in, right? And it's because it's their first full year in the organization. They're beginning in Aberdeen. And this organization does a fantastic job of letting these guys figure it out and struggle on the spot. And once they take off, it's worth the wait with a lot of these guys. So shout out to them. And one thing, too, I know we've touched on it a couple of times, but I think down there in Aberdeen, you've seen a new strategy that the major league team is going to start to employ a lot more. It's speed on the base paths. It's being super aggressive. I don't think that's just a matter of taking advantage of, <clears throat> excuse me, low A or high A catchers with subpar arms. I think it's just uh, taking advantage of playing on turf in a fast surface down there in Aberdeen. <clears throat> I think it's legitimately the Orioles are kind of using that as uh, you know, a breeding ground, almost an experimentation lab of what's this going to look like at the next level. And uh, I think it's going to look pretty darn awesome over the next couple of years.
2: Yeah. Good call. And I just, one more pitcher. I don't want to, f- he's kind of caught in the middle. Jared Beck. He had a great season with Elmarva, Uh 3.86 ERA over 58 innings with 78 strikeouts. And, you know, didn't perform as well down the stretch after he was promoted to Aberdeen, 20 strikeouts in 17 innings, 5.82 ERA. And I think he was dealing with some injuries down, down the stretch, but really great season for him as a seven footer. I mean, I didn't expect him to even be as good as he was in Del Delmarva at any point in the beginning of his career, just because you're seven foot tall. That's a lot of mechanics you have to get right. But yeah, if we can focus on some hitters in Aberdeen, Frederick Ben Cosme, a uh, favor of ours, I feel like is is one to lock in on just because you might think he, ha- I mean, he did have a little bit of a disappointing season, but you might think it was uh, not not a good result this year, but I I still am a believer in this kid. He's still super thin. He has to put it, he's six foot tall. He has to put on some good muscle and start hitting for more power. But at 20 years old, he still, again, will be 20 years old until Christmas. So he still doesn't strike out. He only struck out 14.1% this year. He walked 11.6%, which was a career high. All he's gotta do is add some more pop, and I think he's going to start to explode. He looked much better on defense. He looked super smooth at shortstop this year and second base when Jackson was there. And, yeah, don't give up hope on Ben Cosme, even if he didn't, you know, light the world on fire the way he did in Del Marvel last year. You know, it's it's a different beast. It's a big jump from low A to high A. And my guy, Elio Prado, who he had a really solid year for Del Marva, a 115 WRC+. And again, this is a guy who's still only 21 years old, despite being part of the Andrew Kashner trade with the Boston Red Sox, along with Noelbert Romero, and dealing with injuries and a COVID year, and he's still just 21. He finally, you know, performs at Del Marva consistently enough to get the bump up to high A Aberdeen, and he puts up a 104 WRC+, plus overall, which is pretty good. But he did have a stretch from July 26th to the end of the year, September tenth, where he batted two seventy seven with an eight forty three OPS, one twenty eight WRC plus eight percent walk rate, twenty point seven percent strikeout rate. So again, a guy who's improving still and uh, I have some some hopes for.
1: Yeah, Nick, going back to what you were talking about earlier, and this is a guy that I know we're gonna get a chance to discuss more next week when we wrap up buoy season. Max Wagner is the perfect example of someone who gets off to a slow start, but then ends up really finding his stride. and He became one of the Ironbirds, more reliable hitters in a lineup that had a lot of talent passing through at various points this season. Judd Fabian put together a strong run there over 56 games. Dylan Beaver is another guy that got off to a slow start and really rebounded and now I think has solidified himself as one of the more intriguing hitters in this farm system. Even some guys that fly under the radar a little bit. Maxwell Costas showed really good power in the time he was there. Uh, Ryan Higgins, it seemed like the extra base hit power was picking up a little bit as the season went on. Luis Valdez, not great numbers offensively, but 43 steals and 48 attempts uh, during his time at the Ironbirds. He ended up ending the season in Del Marva, but that impressive speed was on display there. So, really, a lot of interesting players on that roster this year.
0: Yeah, I jotted down a couple, too, a uh, couple to piggyback off Bob there. Ben Cosme, I mean, I just think he was challenged for the first time in his career, really. And he did finish on a really high note. Like, I'm not really moving him on my top 50. I think he might have dropped only because the draft picks that moved in ahead of him, honestly. He's still only 20 years old. That power could still develop. I hope it does. But he's still got a lot to grow you know, physically. Um but I think you look at him over this last month, which was only nine games, so small sample size, but still, he ended the year, those final nine games, he hit 421 with an OPS over 1,000, and only struck out twice in those nine games. So that was really good to see. I think other hitters, I think I only noted one other hitter that I want to talk about, Creed Creed Willems. I know you look at the Delmarva numbers. For me, when I look back at the numbers, look at his Delmarva numbers last year, the not good ones. And then look at his Aberdeen numbers this year. And I think pretty much every single offensive statistic, if you pull up his Fangraphs page, they're like almost identical. It might be like two or three points off. So, and it's easy to look at what Basayo is doing and try to compare these two guys. But Basayo is a very unique prospect and developing to one of the top prospects in all of baseball. And yeah, Willems might be older, but I don't think he's ever going to be in consideration for a top 100 gig. And I may not be still like super solid on him, but typically catchers do, unless your name is Samuel Basayo, take a lot longer to develop. And he's shown the ability to make some adjustments and improve. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him back in Aberdeen next year and improving what he's done this year. I think it was I think it was you, Bob, that said before we came on that you, when you saw him, like he just looks tired. That could be the case uh, as well. I wouldn't put that uh, by him. So definitely going to give him another year. Uh, some pitchers that I wanted to highlight <clears throat> Cameron Weston. I wanted to see more of him this year, but I know he started the year late with an injury. So they probably didn't want to push him too much here at the end, but we know he's got some wicked secondaries. If he can just show that, you know, he can miss bats maybe with fastball at double a next year. I think he'll open more eyes and could be a real sleeper from that 2022 draft class. Uh, Resharp, my guy that I targeted immediately after the 2020 draft. So I'm going to stick with him. Um, you know, the numbers weren't always great this year. The walks were sometimes out of control. But he finished the year, his last 15 innings, 15 and a third innings pitched, which I think was like nine or 10 outings. I can't remember. But only three earned runs and six walks to 18 strikeouts. And three of those six walks came in one outing. So, again, we know those were an issue. But, you know, if he gets to bump up to Bowie next year, it'd be cool to see him continue to pitch. You know, the eighth, ninth inning roll there we know he's got that super hoppy fastball good pitch mix to work bulk innings i hope he can uh continue ride that wave into next year you mentioned cooper chandler as well um good stuff the mid-90s fastball sweeper cutter three true weapons i think he opened a couple eyes this year i know at one point he was one of the more dominant arms in the entire system and then kind of went up and down but i think he's a name that i'm still intrigued by going into next year and then the last guy here, that Kyle Verbitsky. Um, like, how did he not get a shot in A this year? I think is my biggest question. Like, he's 24 years old. He pitched to a 3.83 ERA, a 1.17 whip. He had 103 strikeouts and 103 innings. I think Aberdeen just named him their team MVP, deservedly so. I know at the beginning of the year, we were thinking, like, hey, you know, he comes over in the Daryl Hernandez trade and, and thinking, all right, Maybe he pitches, what, two or three weeks in high A, some of those like adjustment starts, right? You're new to the organization. That is a gigantic bug. Um, <laughs> maybe he gets two or three starts here, adjusts to the organization, and then he's going to get the bump up to the double A here, but he never got that bump up, and it was a few disaster outings. And now we're like, oh, this guy might get cut two, three weeks into the year. But he has a super strong year. <clears throat> Hopefully, the organization is still high on him. They did target him for a trade. So maybe there's just like a logjam up there in the upper levels of the minor leagues. And he was blocked by that. So, but regardless, he had a fantastic year as well down there for the Ironbirds.
2: Yeah. And if we're just emptying the uh, notebook here, um, so to speak, shout out to a couple of relievers who spent, I think most uh, Keegan Gillis, we talked about a lot, but also Dylan Hyde, who both of those guys had really great seasons. And I think they're going to be guys that really are going to, the more casual fans are going to really hear a lot more about next year as they're spending all season in the upper minors as a uh, potential pretty good relief prospects. And offensively, Carter Young, he didn't have the best season in Del Marva, but he eventually got promoted to Aberdeen anyway. And he batted 293 with the 741 OPS and not a large sample size, but had five extra base hits in that time which was a much better rate than he had in Del Marva. so you know still still plenty of room for optimism with Carter Young as he continues his development and Isaac DeLeon he didn't have a great season he batted 202 with a 621 OPS but I don't know if he <laughs> was batting 200 all season until the final day of the season when he went uh two for four and finally nudged it over the 200 mark so just a guy i've been high on in the past but hasn't exactly put it together but shout out to him for getting above that mendoza line at the end of the season
1: before we move into our final segment i want to wrap up here with your guys quick thoughts on three 2023 draftees that reached aberdeen this year matthew Etzel, enrique bradfield jr and mac horvath um i think that you look at the numbers some of the things speak for themselves the fact that bradfield was so successful in the base pass. Was is something we had heard a lot about? Etzel was a guy that flew under the radar a little bit, but really broke out nicely over the few weeks he was in the Orioles system. And Horvath, to me, kind of showed that interesting mix, not a five-tool player, but a guy that could have a little bit of the five tools across the board if some of that raw skill set comes together.
2: Yeah, we saw what Bradfield can do uh, on the bases, on the field. First pitch of the game when I was there Sunday, he was in right field actually, not center field. He makes a nice jumping catch at the wall, bounces off of it. Like he's elite center field defense, elite speed. We knew that already, but nice to see it in action all the stolen bases. He hits the ball hard for the most part. Um, you know, he's just got to lift the ball a little bit more, get into more of that strength, but super excited about what he can bring. Just a completely different dynamic than what we're used to from Orioles draft picks. And Matt Horvath. Man, I feel like he's going to be the first one of these 2023 draft picks that makes a top 100 list. I really just feel like he's got that, like you said, five-tool capability, and I think he's going to be a, a guy that takes off as well as the tool shed, Jake Cunningham, but uh, I think Mac for Mac Horvath has the edge for now. And Matthew Etzel, yeah, I mean, he was playing center fielder in the game I saw. He's, again, a true center fielder. He's got a little bit of pop. He hits the ball hard. I think there are some definitely adjustments to his swing. It's not the prettiest, but if it works, it works. Um, He, Yeah, he got to show off all the tools too between speed and power a little bit here after he was drafted. So super high on all these guys. Curious to see. Obviously, I think they'll all start back at Aberdeen to start 2024. But, you know, as we've seen with Dylan Beavers and and Judd Fabian this year, how are they going to, you know, progress as 2024 goes along?
0: Yeah, I think, Etzel, Etzel's a guy who like really jumped off the page this year to begin the season. I'm curious to see like what he does at the double A level. Like, is he a guy who you know, gets up to like the John Rhodes level of prospect in my mind? Because again, like that's kind of the benchmark I kind of use for these outfield prospects. Does he reach that level, or is he? You know, I don't know. But how does his skills translate as he moves up the ladder? I'm anxious to see because clearly he's an advanced college hitter, so. I've learned to to temper my expectations just a little bit with some of these guys, especially the later on draft picks. But he was definitely super exciting to watch earlier on this year. Um, Horvath, I, I mentioned I think previously on a recent episode, like that conversation with Arm Leighton really drew me more into Horvath because so it was kind of like that Max Wagner territory for me on what are my true thoughts about this prospect? What kind of player is he really going to be? Now I almost get the sense that. Korvath could end up being this like Jordan Westberg type player where it's like, yeah, we know he's good, but like, is he really good enough to take it to the next level? Like, would he be better as a trade piece? Like, h- how exactly does he fit into this organization? And then you bring him up to the major leagues and it's like, oh, wow, this guy is actually really awesome uh, and needs to be playing every day. I'm getting Jordan Westberg vibes there from Matt Korvath. Um, maybe not like specifically like skill set to skill set, but just generally speaking. And Bradfield, this guy is a lightning rod. I, I've said before I like him more and more. He played in 25 games and had 25 stolen bases. was only caught twice. He walked 26 times. He walked 16 times. That tells you everything you need to know. I don't care what his batting average was. I don't care if it's 100. This is his draft year. I really don't care. Um, he was explosive in every other aspect of the game, defensively as well. That, that hit tool will come around. I have all the faith in the world. This organization will, will bring that out of him. He still hit a combined 291 across the three levels. So I don't care what was his high A average, 118, unimportant, uh, not important at all. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Bradfield, was. I'm glad he fell, and I'm glad the Orioles, I was going to say take, took that risk. It wasn't really a risk to take him because we know that floor is so high, but I'm glad they stepped outside of their comfort zone to take a guy like Enrique Bradfield and bring him into the organization because, like I said, that experimentation lab down there in Aberdeen, uh, I think we're going to start to see that more at the major league level. And Bradfield is a perfect guy to be a, a table setter at the top of this Baltimore lineup in you know, two years to kind of lead that charge.
2: Yeah. And it's widely reported the success that the Orioles have had under Michael Elias and Brad Selick and company with their first round picks since they took over organization in the front office, but Second, the second picks in each draft, it's that's what gives us hope of you know being able to continue that success as they pick later and later in drafts. Let's see, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, Dylan Beavers, i um, Connor Norby, and Matt Corvath. Like, that's pretty pretty crazy. They haven't missed on any of their first 10 picks in the last five or phrasing but the first two picks in each draft over the last five years i don't think they've missed once
1: yeah that certainly is impressive and with that we're going to go into our final week of the segment where we shout out guys outside of our top 30 for something they've done recently whether it's been a good game a good week just something interesting in our stat line we did not do this segment last week because nick was out we had ryan ripkin on as our guests so bob and i carried over our picks from last week nick though has a couple of interesting players, including an outfielder of Bowie and a pitcher working his way back from Tommy John surgery.
0: Yeah, I want to shout out uh, Dante Williams down there in Bowie just because I feel like we haven't really talked about him too much this year uh, except like wanting to take his, some of his tools and give them to other players. But it's been kind of a rough year for him offensively. I, I don't know. I don't have his numbers pulled up in front of me. I know they're not good overall. But he did have multiple highlight reel catches. I think he was did like the national interview trail after that one catch uh, out there. But the bat just never really broke through this year. But last week he hit 375 in five games, had an OPS over a Two doubles, six walks, just two strikeouts. We know he's a strong defender in center field. He's fast on the base base paths. He's a lefty. Like if that bat could just improve just a little bit, like I think he'd be a fun option for the Orioles. But. You know, we'll see what next year brings and I just want to shout out Zach Peak again someone you know we really haven't had the chance to talk about a lot this year because he just returned from Tommy John surgery but he had four no hit innings with Aberdeen last week. He walked just one guy struck out six like the Darth Vader might be back guys and I love it. I cannot wait for a fully healthy Zach Peak uh, next year back in Bowie, just shoving.
2: Good stuff. Good choices. Yeah. um, I picked Billy Cook last week because he entered the 2030 club. Well, now he has 24 home runs and 30 stolen bases. So this week he has a chance to join the 2530 club, him and Judd Fabian both. So shout out to Billy Cook. We've talked about him a lot as far as just an underrated position prospect in a system just laden with uh, position prospects. But he's one to keep your eye on for next year as he's up in AAA, presumably, and, you know, he can be a nice utility player in the major leagues. And Logan Reinhardt, who the Orioles uh, traded for at the deadline, only because it was uh, Edward Bizzardo, uh, DFA, and then figured out a trade. But he came over, and he pitched fantastic for Aberdeen, finally gave up a run towards the end of this, his stint with the Orioles, uh, with the Ironbirds. But I think he ended with a 0.95 ERA and just looked great, had great... Uh, strike out to walk numbers and yeah who knows maybe he can be another guy that the Orioles just pluck away from a team they just see some peripherals that they think they can work with and then they turn him into something i mean there's Ryan Hennon who you never heard of but he's had success this year from the Orioles pitching development and and who knows what eventually happens with these guys i'm sure Ryan Hennon will go to the AFL like Nick Richmond last year and people will be like what who but They've had success in the minors with this. We'll see if they can uh, eventually get one of these guys up to the majors. Maybe Logan Reinhardt could be the one.
1: Good choices. I'm going to go with my hitters. a got it. Bob mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, but I want to take a few minutes to talk about Carter young, who was promoted to Aberdeen after 85 games at Delmarva. And it was a mixed bag. Uh, there were a couple of stretches. There where young and hit the ball really well, but you look at some of the underlying numbers. A 236 batting average, despite a 328 batting average on balls in play, a walk rate of 11.6%, but a strikeout rate of 26.8%, and in a WRC plus of 89. And Aberdeen, though, Young really seemed to take some steps forward, definitely driving the ball a little bit more consistently. Hits 293, slugging percentage jumps up from 319 to 397. His on base percentage sits at 344, despite the fact that his walk rate did come down quite a bit from where it had been in Delmarva. However, he did post a 103 WRC plus during his time with the Ironbirds. So relatively small sample size, but also at 64 plate appearances, the point where some of those advanced metrics, particularly the walk and strikeout rate, do start to neutralize a little bit. So we don't know what would have happened with Young had he'd had, you know, say another three weeks at Aberdeen. But nonetheless, I think he ends the year on enough of a high note to give the Orioles some confidence going into 2024 that he could take a leap forward. And then Brandon Young. uh, Last week, he had a little bit of a rough outing against New Hampshire, but overall, he has looked really good on his return from a shoulder injury. So far this year, the right-hander has thrown 36 innings across 10 starts in four levels, 4.5 ERA with a 37-5 to strikeout to walk ratio which is really impressive, and you factor in that his fastball has consistently been topping out, I think, in the mid to upper 90s in some of his starts, so he looks really good at this point, and I just want to throw this out there. He's Rule 5 eligible after this season. Uh, so the Orioles, yeah, I know we haven't seen a lot of him this year. It's a risk coming off a shoulder injury, but if you want to look at an under-the-radar name of someone the Orioles – may want to move some things around for to protect. Brandon Young might be that guy, especially because a lot of people in the organization were really high on him before the injury.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting when we finally do that episode where we break down the 40-man options because Kyle Branovich could be. I don't know whatever happened with him. I think he went back on the injured list, never really saw why. But, yeah, a lot of, of, you know, outside looking in options, and I feel like the Orioles always surprise us with one of the guys they add to the 40-man. So, yeah, could easily be Brandon Young this year.
1: And with that, that does it for this week. So, Bob, Nick, and I will be back at our normal time next Monday night to recap the Bowie Bay Sox season. In the meantime, you can check us out on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to mark your calendars for October 2nd for our live show at Checker Spot Brewing. As we announced earlier tonight, John Mioli and Connor Newcomb will be joining us on that show, but we hope to announce more guests here over the coming weeks. While you're browsing the internet, head over to baltimoresportsandlife.com for all your latest covers on the Orioles, the Ravens, college sports, NFL, and more. And while you're there, be sure to hop on the message board and join and discuss them with fellow readers of the site, as well as contributors to BSL. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedding. You've been listening to On the Birds.
2: That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.
0: At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help, so you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, click Grainger.com or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done.